Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am your host, Hayden Grove, joined, as always, by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Mr. Chris Fedor. And we today are talking about a Cavaliers team that going into tonight's game against the Washington Wizards, seven and four on a four game win streak, taking the NBA by storm. Saturday night, fans were up in arms with Ricky Rubio scoring 37 <laughs> points. And uh, I mean, this team is, is locked in right now. There's a lot of faith. There's a lot of belief in that building. Uh, there is some bad news that we will address, but certainly um, you got to love what you've seen from this Cavaliers team to this point at seven and four. Chris, I mean, we've, we we kind of talked about it uh, on the last episode of the podcast, but I mean, it's I think the additions of Ricky Rubio and Evan Mobley have kind of really, really, really jump-started this thing for the Cavaliers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the bottom line, Hayden, is that if you think about what they did in the offseason, the biggest move was obviously Evan Mobley, getting somebody like that that can be the franchise centerpiece. But an underrated move that I don't think enough people talked about was getting Ricky Rubio because if you remember last year, a big reason, there were lots of reasons why they finished with the record that they did and why they collapsed down the stretch the way that they did. And I don't think we need to rehash them. But one of the most glaring was that some of their most important veterans, Kevin Love, Larry Nance Jr., Matthew Della Vadova, going into the season, the Cavs were expecting to rely on those guys. Going into the season, the Cavs were expecting those guys to take a leadership role and also, you know, supplement the young core that they were developing. And for a variety of reasons, those guys weren't out there on the court. So getting somebody like Ricky Rubio, who, no, he's not a high-level player. He's not a top-10 point guard in the NBA. But somebody who has been around winning before and somebody who has a style that is conducive to winning was always going to make a difference. It was just a matter of, like, how much of a difference was it going to make? And I think we've seen in the first 11 games the kind of impact that he has had on this team is in some ways unquantifiable. When um, teams go on a run, J.B. Bickerstaff goes to Ricky Rubio. Um, when it's the end of games and uh, the offense is starting to bog down, the ball goes in the hands of Ricky Rubio instead of Darius Garland or Colin Sexton or any of these other young guys. Um, and he's been a fixture of their closing lineup. I think the way that I phrased it the other night is that he has become J.B. Bickerstaff's security blanket. He has become the veteran that the Cavs thought, you know, 
Larry Nance Jr., Matthew Della Vidova, uh, Kevin Love was going to be for the last couple of years. With Ricky, I mean, it just seems like he's not only is he the security blink and running the offense well, but it seems like, I mean, he's shooting the ball as good as he ever has. And I mean, is that just a, a sign of his confidence in this in his game right now or his, you know, his place on this team? I mean, is it maybe the, the fact that, you know, he knows he's the kind of veteran and he can he, he doesn't have to worry about the backlash if he's getting shots up? I think there are a couple of things, Hayden. I think, first of all, Ricky came into this year with a lot of confidence coming off of his performance with the Spanish national team. Right. And he said it at media day, the last time um, he felt as good as he did coming off a performance with the Spanish national team, I think was going into the year with the Phoenix Suns. And I believe that year he had a career year in scoring and maybe even field goal percentage and three point percentage as well. So it just seems like he uses his FIBA play as a springboard into the NBA season. And he wanted to build on that. And he has built on that. The other thing is, Ricky said something the other day, and I thought it was really interesting. This is year 11. He's now 31 years old. But but he said that he can see the game evolving. And when he grew up, a point guard had a specific responsibility. And that was... Um, to set all of his teammates up, create shots for teammates. And he said, obviously, the role of a point guard has evolved over the last couple of years. Um, the game itself has evolved over the last couple of years. So he made a concerted effort throughout the course of this offseason to, one, work more on his off-the-dribble threes, because he thinks that's where the game is going, and two, just getting into a more aggressive scorer's mindset. He still sets teammates up. He had 10 assists the other night when he scored 37 in the Garden. But he's being more aggressive and he's looking for a shot. And I think the other part of it, Hayden, is this. Truthfully, the Cavs need him to be more than just a passer. They need him to score the basketball consistently, um, especially now that they're going to be without Colin Sexton. But even before that, they needed him to score the basketball more consistently than you know, maybe some of these other teams asked him to do throughout the course of his career. It's just a different kind of role that the Cavs have thrust him into. And he has really, really taken to it. Well, I was going to wait on this one, but you kind of addressed it with Colin Sexton. And I guess we can get into it. Um, Colin, obviously, was starting and, and playing alongside uh, Darius Garland. Then he, you know, tears his meniscus and could be out for uh, considerable, a considerable amount of time. Um I think Ricky obviously makes that a much easier loss to swallow right. just in that and that, you know, he's given you a, a great season thus far, and that's only going to give him more opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, but what is the impact that you think Colin Sexton's loss will be for this Cavaliers team? I think it's significant, to be honest with you. And there are flaws that Colin has and, um, stylistically he can be difficult to play with at times but the other part of that is that there isn't anybody on this roster that can do the things that colin does on a consistent basis in terms of attacking the defense in terms of blowing by defenders and getting to the rim and scoring anywhere from 20 to 30 points a game um and doing it with relatively good efficiency that's not Darius. 
right? That's not Ricky Rubio. That's not Isaac Okoro. That's not Dylan Windler. All these different guys have a different kind of skill set. And there's just nobody that is the kind of hunter and elite scorer that Colin Sexton is. So they're going to miss that. In saying that, there are guys that can um, pick up the scoring slack and do a little bit more from a scoring standpoint. It's just not the same kind of way that Colin does it, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And when you say that, I mean, are you referring to, like, you know, Rubio, Garland, Mobley, you know, the typical yeah, guys? Like, you're so, I mean, step up? I mean, Darius's usage is going to go up more, and he's going to have to hunt shots more. I've had conversations with J.B. Bickerstaff and other members of the coaching staff about Darius's mentality, and they've been encouraging him to be more of a hunter. But at his core... He's a facilitator. At his core, he likes to get other guys involved before he gets himself involved. So there might have to be a little bit of a shift internally for Darius because he's going to have the ball more, because he's going to get more shot opportunities, and because the Cavs are going to need someone to pick up that scoring slack. Uh, Ricky Rubio in the second half against New York obviously did it. He had a career night in the Garden. You know, Mobley is going to get more opportunities to be more of a scorer. When Markinen comes back from the health and safety protocols, his shot attempts are probably going to go up, and maybe they're going to ask him to score a little bit more as well. So I think it's everybody. Um, it's going to have to be a team effort. The way that J.B. Bickerstaff said it is everybody kind of ticking up a little bit. Um, and the other person is Isaac Okoro is going to have to be something other than an offensive liability because the indications that I have Hayden, he's going to be starting um, tonight and for the foreseeable future in place of Colin Sexton. So if that's going to be the case, then he's going to have to be a lot more than just this tough, rugged defender. More is going to be demanded of him to be an offensive threat because that's one of the things that you can always say about Colin, even if he's not scoring, He's a threat to the defense, and that has a domino effect, and that opens up everything else. The worst thing that could happen is that teams don't honor Isaac. They don't consider him a threat, and that makes things harder for somebody like Darius, right? Or that makes things more clogged up for somebody like Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. So we have to see it, but it's going to be on Isaac. Everybody believes in this organization that his natural position is two, and that he's going to be at his best when the ball is in his hands more and he's not just a standstill shooter. Well, this is going to give him a platform to show that. This is going to give him a platform for more opportunities. And the worst thing that could happen is that his presence bogs down the offense in a domino effect. So he's going to have to prove that he's more than just um, a tough, rugged perimeter defender, and he's going to have to be an offensive threat during this time. Would you say it's kind of an audition for uh, for him in, in that, you know, they feel like he's a really good fit at this two spot? Yeah, for sure. Look, I mean, going into the regular season opener against Memphis, coming out of training camp and out of the preseason, there was an internal debate within the coaching staff about, should Colin Sexton start at the two next to Darius 
or should Isaac Okoro start at the two next to Darius? Because things are about fit, right? And because things are about lineup combinations and things are about how these guys are going to be used. And there were people inside the organization that thought Isaac was going to be a better fit next to Darius um, because of how he was going to be used versus if he was going to come off the bench. So now, you know, now he's getting his chance. And maybe you think that could change things when college gets back. I mean, say Isaac comes in, plays really well. Oh, sure. Does that did that change things in regards to what that debate was at the beginning of the year? I think so. I think it absolutely could. The one thing that J.B. Bickerstaff has shown in this 11-game stretch to start the year that has just been unbelievably grueling, by the way, Hayden, he will he will go with whoever works and whoever gives the team the best opportunity to win. There are times where Colin Sexton has finished games, and there are other times where Colin's been on the bench. There are times when Darius Garland's been on the bench late in games. There are times when he hasn't played Lamar Stevens for a couple of games, and then he brings him out there because he feels like the team needs a defensive boost or they need a jolt of energy. So... These things, I would say, are very, very fluid. Sometimes they're game-dependent. Sometimes they're matchup-dependent based on situation. Sometimes they're situation-dependent. There are very few things that you could say are absolutes when it comes to this team and its lineups and its rotations and its combinations. We know the top eight but we just don't know exactly when they're going to come in games, when they're going to finish games, things along those lines. Within the top eight, there's a lot of fluidity there. And I think if Isaac takes to this role and he shows himself to be really, really competent filling in for Colin, then I do think it's something that if Colin returns this season, and it's not a guarantee that he does, if he does, you know, maybe it is coming off the bench in a different kind of role. Do you think so? Okay, that's a that's a very interesting point you made with in regards to Colin. I mean, you know, I, I'm not a medical expert, but meniscus tear is definitely not as you know severe as an ACL tear. But you there, you've heard that there may be a possibility he doesn't play the rest of the year. So it's not as severe, but it's tricky. Okay. And there are a number of different factors that are going to determine the timeline, and that's. To me, in my understanding, based on talking to a lot of people over the last 48 hours, that's what makes figuring out a timeline pretty complicated. So the way that I've heard it is it's either going to be 8 to 12 weeks or 6 months, depending on what it looks like when they get in there and depending on what has to be done. The way that I understand it, Hayden, is... There's one timeline if it has to be removed, and there's another timeline if it can be repaired. And there's one timeline if it's on one side, if it's like the medial meniscus, and there's another timeline if it's the lateral meniscus. So there are just like a lot of things that still have to be determined, and I don't think they can be determined until they actually go in there, open him up, and see exactly what they're dealing with. The other thing that I've heard is that Colin is seeking a second opinion. Okay. So that would mean that maybe he's thinking that maybe it's not a meniscus tear? 
Or maybe it's just like... No, just like, you know, what needs to be done. Yeah. There is a tear in his meniscus. That is known. But there are usually two options to fixing it. Right. From what I understand. So will that be... And one of them brings you back to the floor quicker than the other. Right. But also, he's probably... You got to look out for, you know, for his career as a whole and... Without a doubt. Yeah. So, okay. That's interesting. With, With Colin, I mean, again... Um, will he, I mean, that'll be something that he'll determine that will be determined in the next coming days. I'm assuming they're going to try to get after it as quickly as they can, you know, yeah, to, yeah, sure. to figure this thing out. Um, yeah, that would be my understanding. So would that, I mean, would you say that maybe, you know, by the end of the week, we'd have some sort of a, um, not a, not maybe not a time deal, but at least a, an understanding of how it's going to get fixed, when it's going to get fixed and, you know go from there i don't know i don't know if it's going to be by the end of this week or not okay all right well definitely we'll have to keep an eye on that because you know as they as the cavaliers have said said that's an extended period of time um in regards to colin sexton um who again tore his meniscus against the new york knicks and masks were yep. hard and tough they're definitely a tough blow for him and uh, you know potentially a tough blow for the cleveland cavaliers i mean look he's their leading scorer and not only that like when it's time to get a bucket late in games when the offense is is not operating at its best or a team goes into like a switch heavy scheme in those moments you just need somebody who can create something out of nothing and Colin has the ability to create something out of nothing so losing that is going to put more pressure on the offense as a whole and it's going to mean that the Cavs have to continue um with this team first style that they have shown throughout the first 11 games. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on the wine and gold talk podcast here from our sponsors. We'll be right back with you when we would get into Evan Mobley, who's had a great start to the season. Stay tuned. Welcome back into the wine and gold talk podcast. You are joined by Hayden Grove and Chris Fedor of cleveland.com. And before the break, I was wanting to get at Evan Mobley because, you know, we've talked a lot about Colin Sexton and his abilities, and, you know, he's not going to be on the floor for a while. But Evan Mobley has been spectacular, arguably the league's best rookie <laughs> in the first 11 games. Been great on the defensive end, been great at the offensive end, had a career night at Madison Square Garden. He's starting to show why he was that unicorn, why the Cavaliers made him the third overall pick, and he's done it quickly. I mean, you know, he's impressing people all over the league, and it's very, very early on in his career. So, to you, Chris, what has been most impressive about Evan and the way that he started this season and his NBA career? Hayden, I think it's his impact on winning. Because that's okay. usually not something that is synonymous with a 20-year-old kid. Right. And you can see the impact that he has had on the Cavs and their ability to win and their ability to function at both ends of the court. That, to me, has been the most impressive thing. I think I wrote about this the other night. The top Of the top five lineups that the Cavs have in terms of net rating that have played more than 10 or 11 minutes total on the season, he's in all five of them. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's a very significant and very telling you know, number. Right. I mean, he's the kind of guy where it doesn't matter, really, who he plays next to, he finds a way to make a difference. He finds a way to make an impact on the game. 
And that's unbelievable for a 20-year-old kid, especially a 20-year-old kid that went to the Cavs that had won 60 games in the previous three seasons combined. Right. I mean, it just goes to show, like, not only the type of talent he has, but he seems to be, you know, just seems to be smart. He seems to be efficient. I mean, all the kind of other stuff as well. The talent is easy to see. I mean, you know, just his size and his abilities. But he seems to do things on the court that, you know, are, are a little advanced for his age. You're right about that. It's his physical maturation already that we're seeing. He's he's gotten better as a player from that standpoint. And you can see the mental maturation as well. He doesn't commit dumb fouls. He doesn't make dumb mistakes. He's usually in the right spots, offensively and defensively. It's just... He has been a joy to watch. He has been everything that the Cavs could have asked for and more to this point. Um, It's him and Scotty Barnes of the Toronto Raptors right now battling for rookie of the year front runner. And and I'm not sure 11 games into the season that I would have thought that when it came to Evan. Well, by the way, I mean, we talked to Chad Ford and uh, I think those were his two guys for the Cavaliers. (laughs) I think they were. I believe it was Evan Mobley and Scott Barnes. So yeah. hey, good for uh, good for Chad Ford nailing it thus far. Eleven games in, we got to you know we got pump the brakes a little bit, but eleven games in, it certainly looks as though Evan's going to you know be a significant significant um, part of this Cavaliers team. And you know he's done it. He's done a little bit of everything. I mean that's what you kind of brought him in to be. He's done a little bit of everything. He's kind of been a conduit for the offense like we thought he would be. Um, and he's also but here's I think, the thing too. Go ahead. So you said we have to pump the brakes a little bit. And I agree. You don't like to go overboard, especially when talking about a rookie. It's such a small sample size. It's only 11 games into the season. But he is keeping us. He is keeping us thinking that there's more to pull out of him. You know what I mean? Like the reason why, if we are going overboard in talking about Mobley and his impact, It's because he's giving us reasons to go overboard. He continues to take it to the next level. He continues to surprise with the things that he is doing. He continues to astonish every single time he takes the court. So I'm trying not to go overboard. I agree. You don't want to usually. You don't want to use the Chris Bosh stuff and the Kevin Garnett stuff and the Anthony Davis stuff. But damn it, you can only go by what you see, right? Right. That's true. That's very true. And, and what you've seen And if he's out that. there looking like a young Anthony Davis, then he's out there looking like a young Anthony Davis. Yeah, right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think that when I meant overboard, I mean we can, you know, yeah, we can be effusive in our praise now, but it, there's a long there's a long season and there's a long, you sure. know, a long time for him. So, um, you know, we can't make any declarations, I guess would be right. the point. But you're right. I think at this point, I think everything you said is accurate. He does look all the he looks the part of all those names you mentioned. He looks the part of, you know, Anthony Davis, Kevin Garnett, Chris Bosch. I mean, that's what he was kind of brought in to be is is a guy like Chris Bosch, a guy like Kevin Garnett. So um he's lived up to every expectation. And uh, it's just exciting to see him um, doing the things that he's doing. And I think he's also helped uh, Mr. Jared Allen, NBA Eastern Conference Player of the Week, who has, again, really come on and had a very, very strong start. Uh, I think those guys are both helping each other out in a lot of ways. Yeah, you're right about that. And they're helping out the young backcourt as well. Yep. Um, I mean, when you have two rim protectors, two paint protectors like that, just anchoring your defense. 
Um, it's not a surprise that the Cavs have a top half of the NBA defense because those are plus-plus defenders that have become the mouthpiece of the defense, that have become erasers. You can see it. Sometimes um, these guards get blown by, but then you've got multiple seven-footers and rim protectors waiting behind them. Um, the opposing offense just just doesn't attack in the same kind of way. Right. Or hesitates when they actually get in there to try and get a shot off against these kinds of guys. So it's really been something to see them work together. It's funny because Jared Allen was talking the other day about how when they first went with this tall ball look, Hayden, everybody was just running to the paint. Mobley was used to doing that. Jared Allen was used to doing that. So they were kind of like clumsily bumping into each other. And they didn't know where the other was going to be. Now they're starting to get an understanding of where each other is going to be, the strengths and weaknesses of the other guy, how they can cover up for one another. And it really has been the pairing that the Cavs thought was going to work when they drafted Evan Mobley. They were excited about the combination of Allen and Mobley, even though a lot of people thought, hey, these guys are crazy. This isn't going to work. The fact that they can both move like guards, that has been um, the thing that I think has made it work. These aren't just clumsy seven-footers that can only stay in the paint and not get out to the perimeter. Uh, these are mobile, athletic, nimble seven-footers that can play inside and outside, that can defend the perimeter, pretty similar to the way that they can defend the paint, and that's been unbelievable. Right. I think that's a great point you make is that, you know, people just look at seven footers and think, oh, man, they're not going to be able to move. You know, they're not right. going to be able to move, run the floor. And that is not the case with either of those guys, um, Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. They're both uh, freak athletes. Right. They really are. They really are freak athletes. And, and it shows. It shows on both sides of the floor. I mean, think um, about this stat, Hayden. So Evan Mobley is the league leader in contested shots. I'm, I'm sure everybody has seen that by now. And it's by a significant number. Um, and if you don't want to just go by total contested shots, you can go by contested shots per game. Within that, though, he is the league leader in contested twos and threes. There you go. Think about that. That's it right there. That's the stat. That's I mean, that's that's that that goes to show everything exactly what you want to know right there. How is it? That Evan Mobley, seven-foot Evan Mobley, is contesting more threes than any other player in the NBA. Think about that. The right. ground that he can cover is rare. Definitely rare. Definitely, definitely rare. And no doubt. Very, very rare. And it's, again, it's 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 why they drafted him. He was a unicorn. They they call him a unicorn because of his rarity. You know, that's what it is. Right. So, um he, his abilities are just they're they're fascinating to watch. They really, really are. Um, in regards to a couple of other seven footers or close to seven footers, um, Larry Markinen and Kevin Love, what are you hearing in their on their behalf? What are you hearing about their return? Obviously, both in the health and safety protocols, um, which, you know, kind of a tough blow given that they were, you know, but they've seen the Cavaliers have certainly um, been uh, fine without them. Uh, but I'm sure they would love to have both. Well, hmm. I have to be careful here because there's a level of respect and 
sure. this is still like a complicated conversation, but I'll start here. Kevin Love um, tweeted the other day that that he is starting to feel better. Um, he's slowly getting back to himself, and he's looking forward to getting back around his teammates again. So that is a positive sign. Um, I don't think it's going to be much longer for him in the health and safety protocols based on the timeline and based on everything that I know. Um, same thing when it comes to Markinen. I would believe that it's going to be within the next week. So um, that that's my understanding of the situation. But I feel like when having these conversations about COVID protocols, I think we have to be pretty careful. Yeah, I mean, no need to no need to you know dive deep into it. I just was wondering, you know, how they're feeling and if there's you yeah. know, a return imminent. I mean, um, Kevin did tweet that he's getting ready to get back out there with his teammates, so that's definitely a good thing. Um, yeah, having and, those guys back will certainly help. I mean, it'll lessen the roles of some of these other guys, Dean Wade and whatnot. Um, so definitely, you know, hopefully they're feeling better. That's the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, I know people want answers to all this stuff. They want clarity on who tested positive, who was a close contact, how long guys are going to be out, who's vaccinated, who's not. But I just think it's a sensitive situation, and I'm going to continue to treat it as a sensitive situation. And many people are choosing to guard it. So there are policies in place that the NBA has. There are individual wishes and I'm going to be respectful of those. That's the stance that I've decided to take. That's a good stance. I, I completely agree with that for many reasons. Um, but it, again, no doubt the Cavaliers would love to have them back on the floor. Yeah, um, I look mean, look, like those are two key guys for them. And one of the things that we talked about coming into this year, Hayden, is that depth was going to be tested at some point during the season. I don't know that we thought it was going to happen you know, in the first couple of weeks. But beyond their top eight, you know, there's not a lot of clarity in this rotation. You know what I mean? And there's not a lot of comfort. Lamar Stevens is up and down. Jetty Osman is erratic, although he's been very good and more consistent than a lot of people thought at the beginning of this season. Dylan good. Windler is pretty sporadic in terms of his playing time, in terms of his production. So after the top eight, there's a clear drop off there. So losing two members of the top eight or three of the top eight, the way that the Cavs have recently with Isaac Okoro not being back yet, um, you know, that has really, really tested the Cavs. And I give them a lot of credit that they've been able to overcome those things because I thought the minute that they started having multiple injuries to their top eight, that's when uh, things were going to start going the other direction. And I give them a lot of credit because they have found a way to stay connected, to stay together, and stay winning in the face of some early season adversity. Right, which is, again, part of the impressive part of this is that, you know, they're doing it with some missing guys. Obviously, now Colin going to be missing for a while. Um, so we'll have to see how they go going, they're do going forward. Uh, they have a nice little four-game stretch here uh, of games at home. They're home for about a week. Uh, Washington tonight, Wednesday, November 10th, then Friday against Detroit, who's had a really rough start to the season um, again. Uh, and then you got back-to-back -back games against the Boston Celtics on the 13th and 15th, both at home, both in Cleveland. 
So um, very interesting there as well. Uh, but again, a good stretch there, given that, you know, they've had a tough, tough start to the season. They went on that big road trip, five-game road trip on the West Coast, and then back to Charlotte. Um, and, and did pretty well. Again, ended up 3-2 uh, and two on that road trip, um, which was impressive. And then, obviously, the three wins in a row, two of which came in Toronto and New York. But upcoming, you got a big, you got a big run of home games. You got one Eight away of the next nine. Yeah, one away game in Brooklyn. And then yeah. the rest are, you know— like I said, Washington, Detroit, Detroit, or Detroit, Boston, Boston. And then you got Golden State at home, Brooklyn at home, Phoenix at home, Atlanta, Orlando at home. So the Cavaliers are not on the road again until November, or for an extended period until November 29th. They have one trip to Brooklyn on the 17th, and then they are, you know, in Cleveland until the 29th of November. So this is another good opportunity for them. They've weathered the storm, and not only have they weathered it, they've been very successful. Um, in navigating that storm, they're seven and four. I think this could be an opportunity where they could really start to feel good about themselves. You know, get a couple big wins under their belt in, in at home, and then you're starting to think about, man, you know, okay, this you get confidence, you start to get you know guys back, marking and love. Like, here we go. This could be a real thing, a real run right here. I don't know how else to say it. They've played eleven games. The opponent's been favored in all eleven, and they're seven and four. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, right. think about that. And it's right. going to be it's going to be 12 tonight because Washington is favored by three points. Yes. Despite the Cavs the, being at home and riding a four game winning streak. Yes. I think the first game that they will be favored in is Friday, November 12th against the Detroit Pistons. That would be my yes, guess. That's correct. That would be my guess. Like that's and going forward, I don't think they'll be favored. Or, I don't think they'll be favored against Boston in either game. Um, I would guess. I don't know. That one's up for debate. Okay, maybe a pick 'em in, in a couple eh, of weeks. I don't know. It'll be close. I'm, be I'm close. curious to see what that number is going to come in at. All right. Well, they certainly won't be favored against Brooklyn. No, in can't Brooklyn. see that. Uh, Golden State at home. No, Golden State's probably the best not. team in the NBA um, currently. Brooklyn nope. again. No. Phoenix. No. Orlando on the 27th, maybe. Yes, absolutely. Orlando. All right, State. so they got they got what like maybe two two games where they're going to be favored, but maybe again maybe they start to win and maybe that starts to turn. You know, maybe they start to continue to win and that, that starts to turn. So, I, I guarantee you that they don't care if they're favored or not. That's the bottom line. They don't. They don't, and they've shown that again. Seven and four, all eleven games they've been the underdog. So. It's, they're they're doing something right. They're doing a lot of things right. And again, it's go, it goes back to Ricky Rubio. It goes back to Evan Mobley. It goes back to what we've seen from Darius Garland. Um, and we'll see how it evolves with Colin Sexton out. It's going to be a, definitely a different team. Isaac Okoro's opportunity here. Um, and then, you know, Kevin, getting Kevin and Lowry back is going to be a big step as well. So a big opportunity here for the Cavaliers who, you know, instead of talking about, man, all right, now we're using this, you know, home stretch to, to right the ship. We're talking about, man, I mean, they can really push the sales and really go forward by with this big, you know, home stretch right here. I think the best thing that I can say about the Cavs is that it's an agendaless style where yeah. they're just willing to do whatever it takes on a nightly basis to win. And that doesn't mean that they always win, but they're doing the things that teams that win need to do. Right. They're and playing hard. Of, yeah. They're playing together. They're sharing the basketball on offense. It's not this dribble, 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 one-on-one -on -one stuff on the offensive end. They're covering for one another on the defensive end of the floor. I feel like J.B. Bickerstaff 
has gotten really good um, in terms of the pulse on his team and what the team needs, the kind of message that he needs to send, the kind of lineups that he needs to use. It's just, you know, um, it is hard to play as consistently hard as the Cavs have for 82 games throughout the season. And that's something that I'm wondering how long that can last. Well, the benefit there, Chris, is that they are amongst the youngest teams in the NFL or in the they NBA. Are in the NBA. You're right about that. But the other side of that is that it's November 10th and J.B. Bickerstaff is using an eight, nine man rotation. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And they're going to be without Colin and they're going to be without Kevin and Laurie for a little bit yeah. longer. I mean, yeah, it's not. You're right. That's not easy. No, no it, it, it might be a situation where J.B. has to dip into the rotation a little bit more and try and steal some minutes with a 10th or 11th guy because you know playing eight for a majority of the season or nine for a majority of the season while playing as hard as the Cavs have to on a nightly basis, that's going to get really exhausting. I would totally agree. I would totally agree. All right, before we get going, I want to invite everyone to sign up for Chris's subtext. Again, we've mentioned it on almost every podcast. Inside analysis inside scoops, all this good stuff that you want, um, send straight to your phone, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. All you have to do is go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, press the blue button, enter your phone number, and you are going to be good to go. Um, so one more time, cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue button at the top of the banner, enter your phone number, and you're going to get all kinds of good Cavaliers information. And what better time to do it than right now with the Cavaliers surging surging to start the year um unexpectedly so but hey as we've mentioned a lot of reasons why it's exciting stuff and finally this Cavaliers team look like looks like it might have turned the corner thanks in a large part to Evan Mobley uh to Jared Allen to Darius Garland to um uh Ricky, Ricky Rubio. Rubio Ricky Rubio right who we supersized lineup that they're using that's right that's right yeah. so again sign up for Chris's subtext 399 a month other than that, Chris, if there's anything you want to say, say it now or forever hold your peace. Well, I'm just surprised, bud, that you had time to do this podcast because I thought for sure you would be on OBJ Watch Day, whatever day we are on that now at this point. <laughs> it's, it's over. He's gone. You move on. It's He's on. He's going to be on another team, and, and that's that, you know? Can I ask a question, though? Okay, yeah. We, if you want to get into that, sure. No, I just I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get well, into I, 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 I have a I have a question for you as an NBA oh. person, but you go first. All right. Like I don't want to talk about this for the next five to ten minutes or whatever as we're about no, to end the podcast. Just real just real quick. But but I'm just wondering, like, why did he want out? Uh I think it had a lot to do with a lot of things. I think it had to do with Kevin Stefanski's offense not being very wide receiver centric. I think it had to do with him not getting the ball. I think it had to do with, you know, Cleveland not being a, you know, a, a, a yes. favorite destination. I think it was a lot of things. I think it yeah. was a lot of and, things. And you know what they all say? They all say he is a gigantic me guy. Um, yeah. It, it has nothing to do with the team. Like, think about this, right? He's acting like he's playing for the freaking Jacksonville Jaguars. He's not. Give me a freaking right. break. His best right. friend is on the team in the same wide receiver room as him. He's got a top half of the NFL quarterback, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, um, the reigning NFL coach of the year scheming up the offense. And right. coming into the year 
the Browns had better Super Bowl odds than the Green Bay Packers. The Browns, in terms of Super Bowl odds, were one of the highest and best on the board. And yet he wants to leave that. Why? Because of targets and because of catches. And because he is a selfish me guy. That's why. He doesn't care about winning at all. Not at all. That's just something that he hides behind. He cares about numbers. Things trend in that direction. I would I would say that. They would they oh, do trend. Me Jay. <laughs> That's pretty good. I will say that I will say about I was shocked at the timing. I was shocked at the timing. If they were six and or if they were four and eight and they had a really bad year, I'd be like, okay, fine, you know, I get it. But the fact they're four and four and they pretty much had everything in front of them and they go and win a big game against the Bengals. I mean, they go, yeah. they, they, they beat the Patriots and they beat the, you know, the, um, the Detroit Lions, which they should, they're seven and four. I mean, right. going into two big games against the Ravens. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I was very they're the second best team in the division at this point. I think a lot of people would say that the AFC is wide the F open. Yep. So there is a path to a deep playoff run if they get it together. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's it. Uh, my question is, if you, if you run into LeBron anytime soon, what is <laughs> what is going on there? I, did, I mean, I know what I know what I think went on. Odell was texting all these guys to like you know put something out there, but. Um, but Le- so LeBron goes on free OBJ, and then right after that, he's tweeting about how good DPJ is and how great Nick Chubb is, and and the Browns. And he, I mean, what's what's the which is it? Is it the is it um, is well, it free both. OBJ? Is it both? Is it free OBJ and go Browns? Or I mean, yes. what is it? <laughs> yes, it's both. All right, and, like, and then it's go Cowboys too, and it's go everybody else that LeBron has an individual relationship with, and he likes to watch play the game of basketball and football and baseball and all these other sports. That's fair. I mean, that's very true. I just thought that I thought when he tweeted the free OBJ thing, I was like, man, like he, I thought he was like a Browns guy. And then all of a sudden each Sunday, he's like, go DPJ. (laughs) I'm like, well, what, what, what's going on? Again, I think I, I, I I honestly think the consensus is that people really do want OBJ to succeed, but in Cleveland, it just wasn't going to work. You know, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's got a lot of people fooled. Well, you might be right about that, but I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see on Christmas Day if he ends up with the Green Bay Packers, which is where people are thinking he's going to go. But I just saw a report that uh, the, the Bill Belichick is uh, is trying to work his wonders and get him to uh, to New England, which would be interesting as well. But I, I don't know if he goes to New England, that then you're, I think a lot of your uh, a lot of your points are extremely valid. Um, but. I just like to say I pegged that one dead on from the very beginning. Thank you. I don't get a lot right, but <laughs> <laughs> you nailed that one. But I nailed that, dude. All right. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. You can you can find more at the Wine and Gold Talk podcast, or you can find more of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast right here on Cleveland.com slash calves. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. And like I said, Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month. Great insight analysis, all straight to your phone. Um as the Cavaliers search start the season. So you got a lot of opportunities to see the Cavaliers in person uh, up until later this month after Thanksgiving. Um, so, Chris, we will talk soon um, now that things will be a little bit easier now that you're not on the road as much. Um, but we appreciate you joining us. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Take care.